The Professional Capitalism Restorers podcast informs companies just like yours why we need to do this together. This free service allows you to obtain business insights to help develop and grow your company to allow for a better lifestyle. Together we have the ability to provide valuable insights, knowledge, guidance and personal resources accumulated over many years. This podcast is developed for you to claw back your valuable time and hopefully help with your forward goals. This podcast is all about giving back. No strings attached, no funny business, no get-rich-quick schemes, but simply to provide some of mine and our amazing co-hosts their wisdom, stories, and hopefully some valuable insight. Together, we have the ability to grow, sustain, and provide a healthy work-life balance for all the cleaners and restorers. As this is totally free, please subscribe, write a review, and share this podcast today. Now onto the show. We would like to thank our sponsor, Cassie. The Cleaning and Restoration Science Institute. Increase recognition and valuing your expertise. All right, welcome back, everybody, to this episode of the podcast. Season three, and we're getting along. So, again, we've got Brooke with us today, and we're going to just follow on from our conversation last fortnight on workplace health and safety. Um, We talked about SOPs, uh, the importance of them, how they can be used uh, for training the staff. Um, I suppose some of the things we didn't discuss um, was reviewing your SOPs. Mm-hmm. Uh, a lot of people think that once you've done an SOP, it's sort of, that's it. It's, it's a tail end Yeah. Um, so maybe we talk a little bit, we start with how we talk a, a little bit about uh, the reviewing of the SOPs, um, if there's any changes in legislation, I suppose, how does that affect, and what other reasons you may need to review or change an SOP. So... Welcome back, Brooke. Thank you again. And um, for anyone who's missed last fortnight session, uh, please go back and maybe review that. Some hot tips in there about uh, workplace health and safety, SOPs. Um, but also this season, uh, if you're unsure or you haven't listened to anything else, this season's about a, a two-storey property scenario property. So it's been made up. Um, that had a black water loss or a sewage loss from the upstairs toilet and has affected uh, both upstairs and downstairs. And we're looking at the whole process of the remediation package um, for the remediation person, um, the business owner, the administration side, the technicians, uh, other trades that will be going to site, how to test, pre-testing and post-testing, clearances, uh, maybe the build back as well, uh, but all along those lines of what actually happens in the scenario claim. Uh, so first of all, we started off with the administration on how important administration was. And I think a lot of people underestimate the importance of administration, uh, the size of administration, the cost of administration. And then I think the next thing they underestimate is um, the WHS components. Again, the size of it, the cost of it, the awareness of it. In the end, the admin side and the WHS side, they're not really the things that are making you money. That's right. But they're still things that you need. So it can be hard for people to justify putting that time, effort and money into those two things when they're not directly getting paid for that. That's right, yeah. And that's probably the biggest thing we want to get across to people is that um, it may not seem important, but it's probably one of the most important things. It's not important until something goes wrong. That's right. So, and again... (laughs) Look, been in business for 20 years. Uh, we've had claims that have gone pear-shaped. Um, and the way we, we've moved forward is by having the paperwork 
to back ourselves up. Um, and it's only backing you up if it's done pre-damage, not post-damage. Yeah. Yeah, you don't want to be scrambling pieces together to try right. and go, oh, but we did this, but how did we do that? Yeah. Or the guys we don't have documentation yeah. for it. We can't prove that that actually happened. Or you're having to go back and check a calendar and go, we had training days on this date. <laughs> what did we cover? Oh, I can't yeah. remember. It's yeah. too hard. So get all your procedures, policies, everything in place first. Um, with your onboarding system, this is paramount, I think, as part of your onboarding system, that this should be the first thing that's done. Make onboarding system so much easier yeah. as well and streamlined because rather than having someone to sit there and show someone how to use chemicals or equipment, they can go through and read this information. And the other thing is, is you normally will have a three-month probation. If they can't read a simple step-by-step <laughs> document, probably not going to be the right fit. Yeah. So it's also a good way to kind of and then weed you, out some <laughs> not great Bits. They need to know how to find it as well. That's yeah, very how important. do they find it? Yeah. Can they actually read step by step? If they can't read step by step, they're not going to be the right technician for you. Yeah, There's no point in putting that money and time into them if that's something they can't do. So I would like to thank our major sponsor, Kasi. Um, and for anybody that has listened to us in the past, um, Kasi is uh, for the industry. So they're part of the industry for training. They're the stopgap, uh, what's missing in the industry. Virtually, that's sort of the, the crust of what they do. Um, so you can get training from, obviously, organisations. But uh, Carsey's been working with the Australian government now for about 18 months mm-hmm. on the proposal of the CERT for in cleaning certifications. And one of those certifications is the water damage uh, certification. So that's what this is based off. It's based off... Uh, the education around getting that cert for bringing in a recognized yeah. Australian equivalent because obviously we have the double ICRC courses that you can do, but at the moment there's not an actual qualification because there's a difference between a qualification and certification. Yeah, qualifications in Australia have to go through like TAFE or RTOs um, to be considered qualified. So now that they've brought this course out to be considered qualified in this and not just certified, you will have to do the course. If you've already done the double ICRC course, you might be able to get cross credits or recognise prior learning to be able to cover a few of those things that might just need to be the assessment that you have to do so it can cut those costs down. Um, but it is more based on like Australian standards yeah. and things that you need to know in Australia. And demonstrating that you actually yeah. can or understand what's going on. So uh, so that's what this podcast is about. It's about... Um, that interaction between um, the actual standard, mm-hmm. getting some information out about some of the questions that will be in there, uh, the procedures that are in there and the documentation you'll need, uh, and also the knowledge that um, you better go back and listen to and um, be able to cross-marry that over for you to help you out with that. So, uh, And again, a lot of people that I know um, have fully certified with ICRC, which is nothing wrong. Um, but again, refreshing everything is... Um, beneficial as well yeah um you know people think they should do a course once and then you know sit two days three days in a course and then know everything you're, you're only fooling yourself so again podcasts like these Carsey, they bring that information to light um and just bring it forward because you know you tend to forget things that you've already learned that you have to teach other people as well so you know it's a very good way to actually say oh can you read this listen to this whatever it is um, and they might just point out something that you've just missed or overlooked. Yeah. So very good resources. So 
So we're going to get back into the um, the podcast. Yeah. And we're going to talk about um, the changes. So um, how often should you look at your SOPs? So SDS sheets, how long do they last? There's no set time. Expiry date, yep. Yeah. So um, the easiest way to check if your SDS is up to date is by going to the chemical manufacturer's website and checking um, the date, the issue date on that SDS because that will usually be somewhere at the bottom um, of the SDS. And if your SDS is matching that SDS, it's going to be the most up-to-date one. So they don't really update them unless they have to. So unless something has changed or a new hazard's been brought to their attention, something like that, or uh, ingredients have changed is usually the reasons why they'll change SDSs. Otherwise, it's probably going to be the same. So how do we know if that SOP is in? Needs to be reviewed. (laughs) So this one's a hard one. Um, SOPs should be reviewed on a regular basis, but there's not really a set time frame as to when to look at it you would want to ask whoever's going out and actually doing the jobs and following the sop to bring up if they see that something's maybe not quite right because it's still on them to be able to go well hang on a second there's a safety issue with this um legislative changes so if whs regulations or legislation has changes doesn't happen that often But when it does, it's good to double check that your SOP is still in line with that. Um, If you're changing equipment or you've got an upgraded version of a particular piece of equipment, you want to go back and double check the manufacturer instructions because it may just be simple changes that need to happen. Mm -hmm. Um, You'd still keep your old SOP for the previous piece of equipment. You still might use it at some stage or something might happen down the track that you need that documentation. So you'd make a new one, maybe just copy paste and then make the small changes that you'd have to. Um, Or if you need to (coughs) change something within that task. So it might be that they're lifting equipment in a certain way, someone's been injured. So you might might go back and go, well, how can we stop that from happening? And so the the biggest thing that I can see that's happening at the moment is um, changing in equipment. So we've gone to the days, um, everyone who's been in it for a while, if you know what a Sahara air mover is, um, those things used to weigh literally five ton. They were so heavy. The air movers today, you can almost pick up with your pinky finger. So if you've done an SOP, you know, 10 years ago with a Sahara Pro. You probably uh, need two people or equipment right. to yeah, lift get, it, whereas now. Now you can probably, you know, um, you know, lift two instead of one. Um, or dimidifiers as well. So dimidifiers with handles opposed to demifiers with wheels. You know, so again, it's just going through your machinery, what's changed, chemicals, what's changed, um, your PPE. You know, if, if you're wearing a, a P2 mask, that's not the same as wearing a full face or a paper mm. mask. So you've got to make sure that it all lines up with what you're doing and what you got. And it could be even that with the chemicals that you're getting new equipment, you might have changed spray bottles. So they yeah. work a different way or they hold a different amount or you may, may change from a spray bottle to a fogger. Mm-hmm little things like that that you don't really think about, but then you have to go back and go, hang on a second. Yeah. You've got to make that change. Yeah. So um, I was going to say something. Sorry. Better than that. That's all right. <laughs> so rude. That's all right. Um, okay. So other, other than uh, legislative changes, uh, oh, that's what I was going to say. Look, um, one of the things that um, as a business owner, what we do is we have weekly toolbox meetings. 
in our weekly toolbox meetings, we bring up an SOP. So that's one way that our company goes through our SOP. So we actually go through them and make sure that they're still relevant. But also for the new technicians, because we do have casuals that come on and off, our new technicians that are coming on are also getting that benefit of listening to an SOP, what an SOP is, the way it's done, um, and all that sort of stuff as well. So training is very important to do it as well. That also covers some of the WHS legislation because you have to have consultation with people that are actually doing the work when you've got documentation that is there to back up WHS. So if you're sitting down with your whole team and they're all using the chemicals, they're going to go, well, hang on a second, have you thought about this? something might pop into their head and go, oh, well, hang on a second, we actually do this on a job. And you go, well, that means that we need to review the SOP. So it's little things like that that you can kind of bring awareness. And then if you put that in your meeting minutes, there's your documentation of that's how we consulted with our employees to make sure that safety is up to standard. And and look, all that's got to be tracked as well. Um, As Brooke was saying, you don't want to go back later and try and find, oh, what did we have in that meeting? Uh, that we bring it up in that meeting, it all should be tracked. And that's part of, I suppose, it's not the, is it legislation, safety legislation? Yeah, so under the tracked? WHS legislation, a PCVU shall be compliant with record keep, keeping requirements. So that's things like training, um, safety measures that you're putting in place, control measures, what risks, hazards are regular within the work site um, or different jobs, and how you've shown your staff to control that. What are they doing? What um, you might have equipment that comes into a control measure or PPE, and have they been trained how to wear the PPE? Do yeah. they know how to look at the PPE and make sure that it's still fit for use? Uh, all that sort of stuff. If you have that documentation, and make sure that if you are doing meeting minutes, they sign it. Yeah. Because if they don't sign it, they were never there. There's no evidence to say that actually happened. If they're signing it, good chance they'll probably there. I suppose the other thing you just brought up then was PCBU, mm-hmm. Principal Contractor. Um, a lot of people don't know that term, but as a business owner. PCBU is person conducting a business or undertaking. Mm-hmm. As a business owner, that's you. Mm-hmm. Um, uh, if someone's employing you, that's them. Uh, if you're employing staff under you, that's you. So uh, it, it covers across the board of all the way through. Right, oh. That will be SOPs for now. <laughs> you could probably talk about them for a wee bit longer. You've done a bit of research on that. Just a little bit. The next thing I want to discuss is JSEA well, or JSA. So this is something that apparently is changing in the industry is that they're changing job safety analysis to job safety and environmental analysis. You probably already cover environmental factors in your JSAs, but I think they wanted to actually recognize it in the name and change it to JSEA. Depends who you ask whether or not they're actually going to do that or if it's just that people are going, whatever, we still know what it is and we include it in the paperwork, so why does it matter? Um, The main reason for a JSA or JSEA is to detail any high-risk tasks um, that are done within the organisation. With the restoration industry, a lot of what we do is going to be high risk. There's going to be safety issues. There's going to be hazards. There's going to be risks. There's going to be injuries, illnesses. It's just going to happen. There's no way of avoiding it, but there's things that you can do to reduce the risk. That's right. And I guess we're talking, let's, let's go on the scenario. It's a two-story house. 
Um, it happened over the weekend. The people are away when it happened, they come back. Um, we've got some ceilings that have fallen, mm -hmm. uh, but we've also got uh, effluence over the floor, odours, that sort of thing. JSEA on this job, mm -hmm. when is it done? Who is it done by? Mm -hmm. And how long does it have to be? So JSEA would be done on the first attendance as soon as you get to the property. It starts before you enter the property to cover any hazards that are outside. Um, that could be something like location, what's close by, um, could access be, I don't know, granted to somebody that shouldn't probably be in there. Um, and just can on you that. from the outside see anything that yeah. might be not so good? So just on that, people don't also think about power lines. Mm. So let's just say this property here, you're going to be doing a strip out. So there's going to be some sort of skip put on site. That skip comes off with a boom and gets put down. Is that power line too close? Do they need a slide off? So they need a, you know, so those sorts of things people don't really look at to start with, but it's very important that you actually do, when you're outside, you do look at those components. Is there a skip coming? Um, is there on-site storage coming? Can I get vehicles here Where's safely? Parking? parking, yeah. Um, is it safe for my staff to get in and out of the bit, like uh, out of the van or get yeah. equipment from is it the on van the main safely road because cars no, are flying yeah, past? That's right. So it's very important that the JSEA done at the start of the job is based on the exterior of the property. And then the next JSEA would be... And it flows through. Straight, straight through, yeah. The property. So now JCAs, once you've done one on a property, is that it? You're done? So you still have to review it because the hazards and the risks are going to change throughout the job. Because um, there's going to be, as you do the work, like as you do the strip out, you might be able to reduce some of the hazards because you've removed some of the ceiling that's fallen down. So then that's a hazard that's gone. There's no longer <coughs> um, a trip hazard for that. Um, you might have removed extracted all the water. So now that hazard is now removed and maybe electricity can be put back on. So then that's going to change back to it's okay now to move forward with that. Um, when you're doing the JCA, you need to go through and analyse every step throughout the job and go into that. And what is the risk rating? What can you do to reduce that risk rating? And then what's the new risk rating? So it's going through and trying to, it's harder to, document to start off with and it's hard to sort of teach because it's going to change at every different job and these are job specific they're not do a JCA and that can be used at every job site that you've ever been to it has to be specific for that property so and then you would take photos to back up what yeah. you're saying about those hazards and risks and then photos of what your control measures are just to prove that you've actually done it and not just gone yeah I'll just write it down so Probably the simplest way you can put that to a new staff member is uh, risk of death to, you know, a puncture. Yeah. All the way down to a, little a puncture. Cut. A scrape, a scratch, yeah. Um, the other way of looking at it too, in um, we've got a risk assessment course on uh, the CASI website and that goes through do they need no medical care, first aid, or do they need to go to hospital? Yeah. So, and then they can kind of, I guess, wrap their head around because it's hard to look at uh, like going up on a ladder. If you're going high up on a ladder, if you fall from that, you're probably going to have to go to hospital. So that's a pretty decent risk. 
if you're one step on the ladder, mm. you might just bruise yourself a little bit. So yeah. that's going to be a minor risk. And that kind of gets them thinking in, well, if I, if I do that, I'm probably only going to hurt myself a little bit. So I'll probably be okay. And also who else is on site if you do fall, if something does happen as well. Yeah. So you have to look at those. Uh, Can those, I hit my head? That's right. That, Am I going to be able to call for help? That's right. Is that a risk in itself by only having one person on site doing the claim? Um, and that's once you're standing outside the property, that's um, part of the risk assessment that you actually have to take before you enter the site. Is there too much risk for me to enter the site by myself? Um, the old canary situation. Mm-hmm. You know? So, um, and again, uh, as we mentioned, if, if you listen to the Phil Scar uh, podcast, I think we go into that a little bit. We uh, do. But, yeah, what, what is a, what's considered working at heights, high. risk, all that sort of thing. And he actually breaks it down pretty well. Like really, Phil Scar's really good yeah. at, being, at even just talking about hazards and risks. It can get a little bit confusing with between the difference of what's a hazard mm-hmm. and what's what's a risk, and he explains it really well and really simply. Yeah, so we'll we'll put those show notes back in there again for this one. Um, so when you're looking at a task, mm-hmm. how do you break it down? Um, so like I sort of said before, it you either overthink it or you think it's too, too simple. Um, and it's something that you will have to sort of go through. And it sounds silly sometimes, but the smallest things should be listed on it. So um, so what would be a green, orange, red? Explain what a green might be. So okay to go, process, yeah. uh, the front door opens with no hazards, nothing mm-hmm. falling. Nothing uh, falling. There's no trips. There's no slips. There's um, no electrical hazards. There's no manual lifting hazards because the door just opens just fine. You're not having to jiggle it, lift it push it open it's not falling off the hinges um so that would sort of be so what would be a yellow in that um the glass maybe is broken, if the, or the glass is broken yeah. if there's a decent amount of water there if there's power points maybe nearby um with water um <coughs> if the door is jammed a little bit and they do have to kind of and they can't tell if it's still on the hinges mm. or there's a few different I guess things that could happen. Yep. Um, and then red. Red would be that the probably hanging it. off it, yeah. and you can see the ceiling drooping <laughs> from right. through the window, yeah. plus the broken glass, plus everything else. It's just it's not it's, it's not looking good. Yeah, job safety is uh, in dire straits. You're in second level, and uh, there's nothing behind them. Yeah. So and there's no guarantee that they <laughs> push on that door just a little bit, the ceiling doesn't collapse more. Yeah. And that you that door being in that exact position isn't stopping everything else from just kind of giving up on life. And again, um, JTAs, can they be video recorded or do they have to be written? It's better to have them written because if you're video recording, it takes out the thought process behind actually identifying what the hazard is. And if you're just sort of walking through, you might not be able to, sit there and actually process exactly what the hazards are. Whereas if you sit down with a piece of paper or even from a tablet or whatever it is that you're using, you're actually having to put that thought and effort into it and going, this is what the hazard is. This is what the risk is. This is what we're going to do to try and control that. And now our risk rating is being reduced by doing that. And I suppose with a tablet too, um, what we're finding is that you can actually start collaborating data 
yeah. from those JCOs. And you can pre-populate things because there, there are going to be times where a hazard is the same across different jobs or the risk is the same across different jobs. So you can use the same control measures. Um, that's not a problem. It just has to be specific to yeah. that job site. So it might just be that you need to change a little bit of wording like the living room was on the left instead of the right. Yeah. Well, I'm still going to go up that ladder, four steps. I've done that before. It's the same risk. It's on the same, it's on the same, it's on concrete floor. And so that's something that you would actually bring in your SOP. Yeah. Because then you could refer to SOP to complete, like that would be your control measure is we've got an SOP that details how to safely use a ladder. So now our risk rating is reduced because we've got a procedure that says this is exactly what we do step by step. Because using a ladder, it doesn't matter where you are, you're still going to put it on a stable ground. You're still going to go up and do your two-point, three-point? Three-point touch. Three-point touch. Yeah. Um, all those sorts of things. If you have that in writing and refer to that in your JSEA, that's saving you from having to go, this is what we're doing to cover the risks of heights. Mm-hmm. And this is where now what our risk rating is. Your technicians don't really need to think about it because... That should, by that stage, come as second nature using a ladder from using that SOP because they'd be using that all the time. So they can reference that. It says risk rating is this before and now it's sitting at a one. one. Yeah. Depends what, it depends, it depends what, ri- one. <laughs> it depends what risk right matrix right. you're using because <laughs> some people will go one to six, some people do one to three, some people do one to four, some are one to five, some go low, medium, high, some go low, medium, moderate, high, <laughs> really high. It just yeah. depends on your business. Death, strain. Yeah. So. <laughs> it's going to depend on the risk rating, at risk matrix that you're using yeah. as to how you're kind of reducing that risk and what whether you're using numbers, words, whatever it is. It all means the same stuff, though. Yeah. It's just how detailed you want to go into Safety. Yeah. safety. <laughs> well, it's not even just the safety because, you know, if you look at it, there's either injury, first aid, hospital. That's your main thing. That's yeah. what you're mainly worried about. If you can deal with it with first aid and they're not having to go to hospital, probably low-ish risk. So they've got to go to hospital, it's high. And the other thing you've got to look at is, um, you know, pets or people staying in their house is a risk, you know, so... It's not maybe what you can see now, it's potential what can happen as well. So it comes back into the last episode how we were saying, are the occupants going to go back? Yeah. When you're not there, they're not going to tell you the truth. No. Ever. <laughs> they're going to do it. They're not going to tell you about it, especially if you've told them not to. They're still going to do it. And you can put up as much yellow tape, signs oh, on the doors. They'll cut it. It <laughs> doesn't matter. Like, it, in their eyes, it's their house. That's right. what they want. Absolutely. I just and needed to go in and get this. That's understandable <laughs> as well. But we just need to take the yeah. most document. amount of precautions that we can and then document it as well. Otherwise, it never happened. If they walk in and we had tape up or a sign and they've taken that sign or tape down, it never happened. So photos and JSEAs or JSAs um, or even SWIMs. Yeah. SWIMs come into it as well. And a lot of people get confused between the JSCA or JSA and SWIMs. Um, so let, let's go into that because that, mm-hmm. that has been a, um, An a, argument. Yeah, a big issue probably for us for the last six months. Longer than that. <laughs> well, yeah, probably. But, but the more you obviously learn about what 
the clearer it gets as mm -hmm. well. So it's easier to distinguish. But for someone who doesn't deal with it every day, what is the main difference between JSEA and a SWIMS? Is it just the hazard risk or is it other things? So the main difference, it depends on your template. A SWIMS is legally required for, I think it's about 16 different things, which we will list in the show notes or list a link to it yeah. so you can get that information. Um, nine times out of 10, a restoration company isn't going to have one of those 16 things in their job. Um, so legally, they probably don't need a SWIMS. If you're working with a building company, they might ask for a SWIMS because a SWIMS has a specific amount of detail on it. So it, they must go into more detail on hazards, risks, um, control measures, whereas JSEAs or JSAs, you could have just a really simple template that doesn't really go too much into um, the hazards and risks. So SWIMS is going to protect you a bit more when it comes to the WHS regulations and legislation, but you could use a SWIMS template as a JSA. Yeah, and swims, it's, it's the same thing. Yeah, the swims might have, for instance, they might have emergency contact numbers. Yeah, um, you know those specific sorts of things. PPE listed. Yeah. Um, the training that you've done, the yeah. legislation that you have to refer to, what standards might come into um, under the work that you're doing. Whereas on a JSA or JCA, you might not be listing all of that sort of yeah. stuff. But if you're using a template that is a swims, or you're just using it and calling it a swims. It, it's fine. You just don't legally need to have it unless it comes under one of those 16 things, but it's not a bad thing to have. It's still going to yeah. protect you. If something goes wrong, you've got that to go back on and say, well, this is what we did. Um, this is who completed that document. This is how, when it was reviewed, this is who read the document. Cause that's another thing that people often forget is you can do a JSA or a JSEA or a SWIMS but if everyone on that job site isn't reading that document, there's no point having it mm. because yeah. they yeah. might see other hazards. They might see other risks that Absolutely. you haven't thought about because you're going in with, I just need to get this done. And so I guess that brings us to the next point is that who's responsible for ensuring that the swims are done correctly mm -hmm. and then that the people that are going to site have read them mm -hmm. um, and understand. I guess that's the biggest thing is understand yeah. what those risks are. Ultimately, it would be the PCBU is the one that have to have processes, procedures, policies even um, to cover them and that their staff members are doing those. You might put that responsibility to an extent on, say, a lead technician that's running the job site because they're the ones that are actually out there. So they're the ones that are going to have to go through some different training or what we're going to do today with all the rest of the team members that might not have the same level of experience that they do. Um, that, again, comes into have the swims, get a signature from every person that steps out on site because if they haven't signed it, they didn't read it. Mm -hmm. um, that's probably the easiest way to sort of cover yourself. Um, understanding it. That's something that you would probably go through in your onboarding and training. And then every time that you're out at a job, going through the different hazards, risks, the more you repeat something, the easier it comes to people. So if they're not a lead technician and they're just an offsider, um, having that lead technician go through and saying, so these are the hazards that I've seen. <coughs> Can you see anything else? Because they might go, well, there's a bit of water over there and there's a PowerPoint. So there's another hazard or... Um, 
you might have quickly walked through somewhere and not actually seen something because you're in a rush, especially at the moment with all the flooding that's going on. You're going to be inundated with jobs. So it's pretty important to get out there, get it done as fast as you can, but it doesn't mean lack in the paperwork side of things or the safety side of things. A good way to do it, I think, is um, if you go into a site, have that toolbox meeting with everybody before entering. Mm-hmm. So you can have your lead technician go through and do the walkthrough or as far as you can with things that's safe. Come out, everyone's sort of getting all the equipment ready and then they come out and have a quick 10, 15-minute discussion, go over everything, um, and then they go for a quick walkthrough as well so everyone understands you might the process even have, and what's going on. So you might even understand. have your lead technician doing the actual JSA or swims and your offsider taking videos mm. and another offsider taking photos. And then you've got all of that that then ties in together. And as your lead technician who's probably doing your inspection reporting and stuff like that, they can then review that and re-watch it if they need help going, oh, well, we did have this risk because it's still a risk now. Or what did we do is that risk working or a manager might then go back and go well we're going to quality assurance this and we're going to check one a month of each different lead technician to make sure that they're doing it the right way um i've found in different jobs that i've been in in management positions that not telling them when they're getting a review and having that documentation in place makes it a bit easier to go they're struggling with something or they're not struggling with something and if you've got that video, you're actually getting that first-hand information to be able to go, well, hang on, we might need a little bit more training around this type of hazard because that's not listed in this job. So then that would give you something to talk about at your next toolbox meeting. Mm. Yeah. So a lot to take in. Um, and again, look, a lot of people are going to say, we just can't afford to do this. But what I do say to those people is, WHS is very expensive. Don't, I'm not going to you know, talk around anything other than it is. It's very expensive. But that's where the risk element comes into you as a business owner of how much risk do you want as a business owner. Obviously, if you could pay to remove all risks, it'll cost millions and millions of dollars. So there is going to be some... reasonable. Yeah, it's going to be some element of risk that you just can't foresee, pay for, or whatever it is. And that's the main thing throughout yeah. the entire WHS legislation and regulations is whatever is reasonably practicable. That's where it becomes great. <laughs> because depending on the business and what resources they've got access to, how many people they've got working, whether it's new staff members, old staff members, what is reasonably practicable is going to vary from organisation to organisation. Absolutely. Yeah. So what we're not trying to do is trying to say that you must have this 100%, mm-hmm. what we're trying to do is give you an overall view paperwork. of what's paperwork, out there, paperwork, documentation, document, yeah, photo, video. <laughs> yeah. um, and give you an idea of what's involved as well um, and start putting these processes in place. Mm-hmm. Uh, as I said, like Brooke's been working at this full-time now for 18 months mm-hmm. um, and there's still she's still covering new there's still things, things I'm fine all going, the time. Oh, that's absolutely. That's yeah, new. Absolutely. I haven't seen that before. So, and again, I've uh, been in the industry for 20 years and 20 years I've still been teaching you something. Well, that's stuff. it. 20 years ago, <laughs> although we were taught some of this stuff 20 years ago, I, I can't remember everything from no. 20 years ago. So, when was uh, the last time you were on a job site? Two days ago, actually. No, Saturday, Before that? Friday. 
Friday, Thursday, <laughs> then two years ago. And how much did it change between Friday and I'm two not a years technician ago? Anymore. I'm not a technician anymore. <laughs> so, so look, guys, um, we're, we're getting to the end of this session as well. Um, and, again, this has all just been um, as part of the new Cert 4 in cleaning certification. If you're doing an SOP or at a JSEA or JSA or SWIM, send it to us. Yeah. Let us have a look. Yeah, Brooke's got plenty of time, apparently. You need, not about that, <laughs> not about that, but sometimes it can help work out what we're, yeah. we might need to clarify or yeah, if just we get need to started find some, or, yeah, yeah more information. You might even want to be a guest on the podcast. So That'd be good. it would be something along those lines. So make it more work for you, not me. <laughs> uh, as I said on the last podcast, guys, you don't have to do this yourself. Uh, get a team together, um, friends in the industry, and uh, just start getting it together, uh, compiling your information. Talk to your supplier where you get your chemicals Absolutely. from. Who else, what other companies buy this chemical? Yep. Can I get their contact details? So SOPs. Swims, JCAs, they're all document, very important. Document, document. They're very important, guys. Um, <laughs> and signatures. Start limiting as much risk as you possibly can. Uh, your best to start straight away. Don't leave this off till you know tomorrow because tomorrow never comes and you'll get busy and it'll just get put in the background and you forget all about it. So that's the biggest information I can give you guys is get started. Uh, it doesn't take long. To do an SOP, honestly, you it can really do, doesn't. You can do an SOP in sixty seconds, like it's it's that quick. So, and once you've done one, you're going to get faster and faster. Yeah. And then next minute, you might set a day aside so that you're in that mindset. You're sitting down yeah. and but, you're just repeating the process over and over SOPs again. Twenty SOPs together, it doesn't take. Try long. try yeah. to do it that way rather than doing one and then having to get back in the mindset because it's going to be a bit easier to go. No, I need to go step by step by step and you'll find that you're repeating yourself over and over again um, with the SOPs, especially when it comes to chemicals, because you're probably going to have the same procedure for mixing. Like you might have a certain section that they're doing it at. They might have it in the back of their bin or they might have funnels, spray bottles, whatever it is they're using. And um, that's going to repeat across the different chemical things. It might just be the how many mils of the chemical that they're putting in with water that's going to change so makes it a bit easier um and just a heads up for everybody i'm actually away um from the podcast room for the following fortnight's podcast so that we'll have a fortnight off and we'll see you in a month so thank you everybody for listening and uh, we'll catch you on the next episode thank you again Brooke. no worries by assessing this podcast, I acknowledge that the Professional Carpet Cleaners and Restorers podcast makes no warranty, guarantee, or representation as to the accuracy or sufficiency of the information featured in this podcast. The information, opinions, and recommendations presented in this podcast are for general information only, and any reliance on the information provided in this podcast is done at your own risk. This podcast should not be considered professional advice. Unless specifically stated otherwise, the Professional Carpet Cleaners and Restorers podcast does not endorse, approve, recommend, or certify any information, product, process, or surface, or organization presented or mentioned in this podcast. And information from this podcast should not be referenced in any way to imply such approval or endorsement. The third-party materials or content of any third-party site referenced in these podcasts do not necessarily reflect the opinions, standards, or policies of the Professional Carpet Cleaners and Restorers podcast. The Professional Carpet Cleaners and Restorers podcast assumes no responsibility or liability for the accuracy or completeness of the content contained in third-party materials or on third-party sites referenced in this podcast, or the compliance with applicable laws of such materials and all links referenced herein. Moreover, the Professional Carpet Cleaners and Restorers podcast makes no warranty that this podcast or the server that makes it available is free of viruses, worms, or other elemental codes that manifest contaminating or destructing uh, properties. 
The Professional Carpet Cleaners and Restores podcast expressly disclaims any and all liability or responsibility for any direct, indirect, incidental, special, consequential, or other damages arising of any individual's use of, reference to, reliance on, or inability to use this podcast or the information presented in this podcast.